the Lord. Christ is risen. Amen. I love that story. It was in the days of the Iron Curtain, somewhere in Eastern Europe. On Resurrection Day, the atheists decided to schedule a rally and they set up their platform on the town square and began to preach the glories of atheism and why there is no God. And when he was done, an old man in the crowd, in their language, proclaimed, Christ is risen. And the whole crowd said, He is risen indeed. <laughs> Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, this is what God has done. He has taken our greatest enemy. Isn't that cool? He has taken our greatest enemy, death. And he said, and listen, don't be fooled today into thinking you're never going to die. Unless the rapture comes, this might come as a shock to you, but the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. You are going to die. Great news for Easter, right? And that brings us a certain element of anxiety. But although we're going to experience a time... We're not going to try any illustrations like that today. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleophas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then, some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are. and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen 
and disappeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What a day it was, that first resurrection day, where Christ preached the first expository resurrection day sermon. He had lived a perfect life for three plus years, healed many, changed lives, taught truths, preached the gospel from the Old Testament, and lived a life exemplary of those who were following him. And those who did not believe in him were threatened by him uh, because uh, they had mixed their politics with their religion, and they believed that the Son of God, if he did come to earth, if the Messiah did come, he would kowtow to them. And Christ didn't do it because they were oppressing the people. And so they manipulated the scriptures, manipulated the Romans, and he was killed. And his followers were devastated. Devastated. And they heard that his last words included words like, it is finished. And Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. When we hear the words, it is finished, we rejoice. Yes, the finished works of the cross. But I wonder what they thought. Did he mean it's all over? What was the last three plus years about? I'm confused. I'm so discouraged. I'm depressed. The scriptures say that hope deferred makes a heart sick. They were in the pits. And then on the third day, here comes reports from some women who saw him. And some men went to confirm and they saw the empty tomb. And so it was a mystery, and a couple of the disciples decided to go to Emmaus. It was seven miles away, so they were walking like from here to Burger King. Who'd like to walk that far? On their journey, the Lord just joins them. They don't recognize him. They're depressed. They're in the pits. You know, when you're depressed, you don't look for reasons to be happy, do you? You, you want to stay that way. Play me some... You know, play me some country music or something. Play me the blues because I'm depressed. And the, the Lord basically rebuked them when he asked them what they were talking about and they were shocked that someone wouldn't know the story of Jesus. And he told them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart, verse 25 of Luke 24. 
to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I call this the seven-mile sermon. (laughs) The resurrection day gospel. And so they invited him to stay with them, and during the meal when he blesses the bread and breaks it, they recognize him because no one could do it like him. And then he vanishes. They got so excited, they walked back from Burger King back to Generations. (laughs) They walked back the seven-mile journey back to the disciples they had left. And in the meantime, Simon had seen the Lord. And they told what they had experienced. And while they're sharing in their fellowship this good news, the Lord appears. And he proves that he's not a ghost by eating some food, broiled fish and honeycomb. You ever had fish with honey? It's good. Not quite as good as fried chicken with honey, but it's still good. And he eats with them in their presence, proves he's very much alive, not some apparition spirit or vision as the food disappeared into his mouth. And he says to them in verse 44, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So he'd been preaching the gospel of the resurrection to them for three plus years. Then he, verse 45, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall there? To hear him teach, not some denominational twist on things, not Alan Lattice skewed understanding, but pure truth coming from the lips of the word of God made flesh, opening up what we call the First Testament or the Old Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the Messiah. And he says, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So he's explaining, based on these truths, I've just helped you understand, this isn't just for you, this is for the world. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, verse 49 I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The scriptures go on to say they were in the temple daily, praising God, having fellowship, till the day of Pentecost came, which you can read about that in Acts chapter 2. Let's pray. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that your word would bring life to us. And Lord, if anyone here is not yet a believer, I pray, Lord, for the gift of saving faith to be granted in your sovereign mercy today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You just read that Christ said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The prophets are Isaiah through Malachi. The law of Moses is Genesis through Deuteronomy. And the Psalms is the central book of your Bible. It's the largest book of the Bible. And it's a book primarily written by David, a man who tasted the gospel. He, because of his sins, according to the old covenant law, should have been stoned. I don't mean stoned or stoned, but... (laughs) should have been stoned, but God in his mercy extended grace to him. He tasted the new covenant. And Christ then opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. I wonder what verses he preached from. I don't know all of them, but here are some of them. He preached the gospel 
Seven Miles with the Savior and the Scriptures. That's our title today. Moses declared this twice in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So we've known this is a messianic prophecy. This is referred to in the Gospels. But the words raise up were raised up by his resurrection. A prophet like Moses, he's much more than a prophet, but like Moses, he leads people from slavery to sin to freedom and righteousness to the law of God written in our hearts. And the Lord not only gave them that prophet, but he raised him up. In the Psalms, David prophesied, you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Peter preached this in Acts chapter 2 when he preached his first sermon. You'll not allow your Holy One to see corruption. His body is not going to decay. A resurrection is going to occur. He's going to be among the dead, but he's not going to be left there. Can you say amen? amen. Glad about it. Psalm 118 18 says, the Lord has chastened me sore, but he has not given me over to death. We'll see in Isaiah 53 that the Lord was chastened or punished for our sins. But he was not given over to death. In other words, he didn't stay that way. God didn't let death have his son. That is resurrection. Let's look at Isaiah 53. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but let me just read to you a few of these verses from Isaiah 53. Talking of the Messiah, says, He was cut off from the land of the living, verse 8. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. So he died between two thieves, but he was buried in a rich man's tomb. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. You ever thought about the generosity of Joseph of Arimathea? To buy a grave plot is not cheap in our time. Nevertheless, to buy a tomb costs even more. Something carved out of rock, a room that can be sealed, he just gave it because he was so moved by the ministry of Jesus and by his cruel death. He gives it. Didn't know he was going to get it back. He gives it. And because of his giving, we're still blessed today. When you and I give sacrificially, we have no idea the impact our gift is making on generations to come. If Jesus had just been thrown in a hole which a bunch of dead folks, the resurrection would be proven, but it wouldn't be a pristine, clean crime scene like this one was. A major tool of persuasion in believing in the resurrection is the evidence of the empty tomb. His, tomb, his grave was made with the rich at his death. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was chastened for our sins. He has put him to grief. When you made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That is resurrection. He's coming back. All these horrible things are going to happen, but he's going to see his seed. He sees us today. We're his seed. By faith, we are the children. He's the everlasting father, Isaiah 9, 6. We've been, anybody been born again in the house? Woo! Amen. Hosea 6, 1 to 3 says, Come, let us return unto the Lord, for he has torn and he will heal us. He has smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. 
In the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then, then all these blessings are going to come. When Christ died, he died not for his sin, but for our sin. So in a figure, when he died, we died. He became us so that we could become righteous. He became sin so that we may be made the righteousness of God. And when he arose from the dead, he raised us up with him. This is the mystery of the gospel. He raised us up so that we no longer will have the penalty of sin upon us. <laughs> he raised us up. You know, if you live a life of wickedness, your descendants suffer as a consequence of that, right? But if you live a life of righteousness, your descendants are blessed as a consequence of that, right? In like manner, Christ lived a life of righteousness so that his children could be blessed. And while he's the one that died, through faith in him, our death is just a physical shift from this dimension to the next, and it's no longer for our sin. And when he arose from the dead, we, in a sense, in a figure, as a symbol, we have hope in his resurrection. Peter wrote in his first letter, we have a living hope because of the resurrection. The song they used to sing when I was a boy, I have hope when trouble comes my way. I have hope, yes I do, since Jesus has come to stay. I have hope, oh yes, when things are not well with me. I have hope, it's a beautiful hope that sets me free. That's because of the resurrection. This is talking about Jesus in Hosea 13. This no doubt was a verse that he quoted and taught from. It says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. If death were a living thing, this is bad news. But those of us who are living things, this is good news. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Christ is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. You're glad about it. Where do you stand? What about you? What does this sermon have to do with you? Well, I'll get right with God before I die, or I'm an American, and America's a Christian nation. I'm sorry it doesn't work like that. He died for sinners, sinful individuals not sinful nations or sinful people or sinful religions, but sinful individuals like you and me, like us. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever means whosoever. It means you and me. Everyone means you're the one. Everyone means all the ones who will call out to him. But let's just talk about right now. Are you afraid of dying? Some people live in fear of death. Well, I have other kinds of fear. I have fear of heights, fear of water, fear of closed-in spaces. But if you follow pretty much all of our phobias to their most logical conclusion, they will lead to death. Just will happen. When uh, my parents bought a house out in the country, we didn't know that when wintertime comes, mice come in to houses. And so before we could trap them all, some were living up in our attic and my grandparents came to live with us and my grandmother had a phobia of snakes and mice. And we could hear one another through the house. And 
there was a scratching noise up in the attic. And my grandmother said, Thomas, that was my grandfather's name. They have mice. Mice could bite us. We could all die. (laughs) From a scratch to death. She did not have the understanding that we're going to share here today that Christ brings freedom from the fear of death because of these facts, these scriptural facts. When dying, we will not be alone. Listen to this prophecy. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. The fear of abandonment is gone. The fear of being alone is gone. The Lord is with us. As true believers in our Lord Jesus, we have received everlasting life. The most quoted scripture in the Bible, for God so loved the world, this is Jesus talking, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but in the Psalms, the words, this day I've begotten you, was talking about the Son of God, refers to his resurrection. Some people want to say, if Jesus is God, how could he ever be begotten? At his resurrection. So Christ is pointing to his resurrection through believing in his finished work. We don't have to perish. We can have everlasting life. So if we have everlasting life, and if we're not alone, we need not fear death. After dying as believers, we have been promised we will live. It's on another dimension, but we will live. Jesus said to this woman he was ministering to, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And he goes on and says, he who lives shall never die. Make up your mind. Are we going to live or will we never die? What is this? Well, it's both. It's both and. On this side of eternity, we die. But on that side of eternity, we go home. So we never die. It's just a change in our physical body. These bodies are just earth suits. So we're talking about the death of our earth suit. When your earth suit dies, you're no longer part of the earthly community. I know strange things happen when people die, cardinals appear and all kinds of other things, but I'm telling you, the Lord comforts those who are mourning, but people don't wander the earth without the earth suit on. We transition to the next dimension. And as our enemy, we are promised, death which is our enemy will be destroyed. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But he must reign till all enemies are under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So Christ put death under his feet when he conquered death. But we have the assurance with him being the first fruits of the resurrection, we have the assurance that one day death will be under our feet. Are there any gardeners in the house? When you first plant a garden, that's your first fruits. Isn't it wonderful? Those tomatoes, those corn, all that other stuff. Those are your first fruits. And from that, you can get seed to plant future harvest. So Christ is the first seed. He is the seed of Abraham that blesses the nations of the earth. And we are the last. We too will come from the dead, just as surely as corn becomes a stalk and bears fruit, so will be the case with us. And finally, our Lord Jesus has already destroyed the one who had the power of death. Death will be destroyed, but the devil who had the power of death, the one that could torment us with scary dreams and stuff, has been conquered through Christ. Inasmuch then as children, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood. We've had this human experience. He himself likewise shared in the same. He lived fully as a human. 
that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, human history, as the Bible records it, starts in a garden. And there was this tree that they were forbidden to eat from. And according to the story, the serpent, the enemy, the devil, tempts them to cross the line to eat from this tree. Now, in the warning of not to eat from the tree, it says, if you eat of it, you will die. Now, eating of it did not produce death instantly, but yes, it, yet it did. The relationship with God died. There became a barrier between God and man, and a barrier between man and his wife. He blamed her, she blamed the devil, and he gave her a new name because she had messed him up. That's typical husband and wife stuff. <laughs> but through Christ, we can forgive each other. But hanging over our heads before Christ is this threat. Sin is real, and you're going to die. And it can be tormenting. But Christ destroyed him who had the power of death. How did he get the power of death? Man submitted to the will of the enemy by doing his will rather than God's will, giving him the power of death, the right to torment us. But through Christ, that right has been taken away. And lastly, we need not fear death because Christ is risen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, I love this chapter. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. By Adam and his wife, humanity experienced death. But Christ, who's called the last Adam, comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, that is the first Adam, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. The great resurrection when Christ comes back to earth, that's when we will see in this dimension the resurrection as it is. Now why do we believe in the resurrection? There's several reasons for you to consider. If you have your doubts, I understand that. Begin to do research. Google it. Out there you'll find all sorts of reasons not to believe, but then you'll find reasons to believe. And so just dive in and check this out. If this happened, this is worthy of your consideration because according to the Bible, it has eternal consequences. There's a reality of the empty tomb. Where is the body? The tomb was guarded 24-7, as it turned out, 24-3. It was sealed. The crime scene was taped off, making it a crime for anyone to break that seal. There was a heavy stone. Who moved the stone? Who broke the seal? And who overcame the guards to steal the body? And where is the body? It didn't happen. The empty tomb. Another reason to believe are the eyewitnesses. Eyewitness testimony is going on right now in Minneapolis. I'm not sure about all the expert testimony. To me, the weight of a case rests on the eyewitnesses. And so eyewitnesses, we just read some testimony from eyewitnesses today. Their words are to be considered. If eyewitness testimony carries no weight, then the human race falls apart. No differences will ever get settled, and courts will just be logged up. Why do we believe in the resurrection? Because of his enraged enemies. His enemies? Yes. They wanted him to die, so they made sure he died. He was killed by professional executioners. They wanted to end his influence, so they made sure that no fake resurrections could be pulled off. And then they began to persecute the eyewitnesses. And none of them recanted. We believe in the resurrection because of his empowered 
emissaries. Sorry, I got carried away with the letter E there. It's a preacher thing. An emissary is someone you send out on a mission, a representative, an ambassador. It's, it's an apostolic thing. They were empowered. And in the face of torture and death, they refused to recant the gospel story. If one of them had, you better believe the enemies of Jesus would make sure the world heard about it. All the recanters you have are Johnny-come-latelys who weren't around, weren't even alive at the time. They'll discredit his death. Well, he actually just fainted. Or, or the professional executioners didn't know what they were doing. So you have a guy who's fainted with loss of blood, who was killed by losers, overcoming soldiers, rolling away heavy stone by himself and breaking a Roman seal and disappearing. And then proving himself alive with his resurrected body, with wounds that could be seen that are healed. That's something to consider. His family became believers. You know, families don't always go along with their family. The Lord said it like this prophets are honored everywhere except at home. Remember Jimmy Carter? Remember his brother Billy? You ever drink a can of Billy beer? They're kind of fringe characters sometimes. But Christ's family became devoted followers. And they too experienced torture and death loss of everything for the sake of testifying to his resurrection. Why did God allow all this cruelty? Because we're not in heaven yet. Why does wickedness happen? Check out the headlines. We're not in heaven yet. And yet everybody wants to go to heaven. Wants to believe that everybody's good. If everybody's good, why, why the problems in the, in the paper? I met a man this morning on my way to church yeah, sometimes I start, stop at racetrack. They've got the best coffee in town for the best price. On crutches, and he began to tell me what happened. He was in Fort Worth and saw three big guys beating up on a little guy, a kid actually, stealing from him, emptying his backpack. So he stood up for the kid, and they said, who are you? They let the kid go and beat that living daylights out of this guy. Broke his leg, put him in the hospital and all that. What is that? That's sin. That's wickedness. That's, that, that's the expression of our world. So everybody's not going to heaven, but everyone can be forgiven and their lives can be transformed and can be redeemed and changed. That's the good news, amen. And they too can become empowered emissaries. The apostle Paul became one. The one who killed Christians. One of those that stole from God's people and had them die torturous deaths at his hands and his leadership and had authority to do it, did it legally. He became a testimony, a witness of the resurrection. Then after three centuries, the Roman Empire trying to wipe out the resurrection story because it was in the face of their religion, teaching that Caesar was God. They called Christians atheists because they didn't believe that Caesar was God. After three centuries of that mess, they admitted it's true. If you can't beat them, join them, right? Which was a wonderful thing, but not necessarily a wonderful thing. Because then here comes forced conversions and that same oppression mixed with their way of operating, but it did take the heat off of the believers. And then there's the engraving of history. History is recorded in light of the resurrection. Watch this. What is the meaning of B.C. and A.D.? 
It is commonly thought that BC stands for before Christ and AD stands for after death. This is only half correct. How could the year 1 BC have been before Christ and AD 1 been after death? BC stands for before Christ. AD actually stands for the Latin phrase Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. The BC slash AD dating system is not taught in the Bible. It actually was not fully implemented and accepted until several centuries after Jesus' death. It is interesting to note that the purpose of the BC-AD dating system was to make the birth of Jesus Christ the dividing point of world history. However, when the BC-AD system was being calculated, they actually made a mistake in pinpointing the year of Jesus' birth. Scholars later discovered that Jesus was actually born around 6 to 4 BC, not AD 1. That is not the crucial issue. The birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ are the turning points in world history. It is fitting, therefore, that Jesus Christ is the separation of old and new. B.C. was before Christ, and since his birth, we have been living in the year of our Lord. Viewing our era as the year of the Lord is appropriate. Philippians 2, 10-11 says, That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In recent times, there has been a push to replace the B.C. and A.D. labels with B.C.E. and C.E., meaning before Common Era and Common Era, respectively. The change is simply one of semantics. That is, A.D. 100 is the same as 100 C.E. All that changes is the label. The advocates of the switch from B.C. A.D. to B.C.E. C.E. say that the newer designations are better and that they are devoid of any religious connotation, and thus prevent offending other cultures and religions who may not see Jesus as Lord. The irony, of course, is that what distinguishes BCE from CE is still the life and times of Jesus Christ. Got questions? The Bible has answers, and we'll help you find them. Final reason for believing in the resurrection is the enduring results. Is anyone here experienced the results of his resurrection? For all that Christ did, it would have been in vain from the virgin birth to the perfect life onward to his awesome death. Would have been in vain were it not for the resurrection. That is the point that makes it relate to us all and through faith in that, it changes lives. I heard a story of a man when he was in high school. Him and his friend decided to give their lives to the Lord. And they did. They prayed a prayer. And when the prayer was done, they didn't feel much different, but they took their beer and threw it all away. They were underage, alcohol abusers, and have never had a problem with alcohol since. Been serving the Lord ever since. He changes lives. How's your life going? Are you afraid of dying? Are you tired of it? Do you need meaning? Do you need to know where you stand with God? When we stand before him, our arguments are all going to be lame. We will not be able to hold on to our mama's apron tails. It's between us and God. He has done his part in giving his son for us. Where do you stand? Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray, Lord... For those that know you, I pray, Lord, that you would make them bold. Give them a hunger to be filled with your spirit so that they can be bolder than ever. And Lord, I pray for those that don't know you. I pray, Lord, you would open our eyes today to the truth of the good news of your resurrection. And I pray, Lord, for those that know you, but they've been following you from afar, Lord. Give them a burning desire to take you seriously 
and to make you the Lord of their life and to follow you with all their heart. And Lord, as we worship some more, I pray, Lord, that every person here would commit themselves to you anew to live a life of celebration of your resurrection. That no matter how rough things get or how dark things appear, Lord, we live with a living hope because of all that you've done for us, made available to us because of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. In the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt Praise We believe, according to the Scriptures, that God has all knowledge. He has foreknowledge, and He has future knowledge. He lives outside the dominion of time. He created time. We believe He is omniscient. Omni means all-encompassing. 
Shent relates to the word science. He has all knowledge. There's nothing he doesn't know, and yet there are some things he doesn't know. Some things he knows includes that he knew you were going to be here today. He knew you were going to hear what you heard today. He knows what's going to happen later on today. But he doesn't know of a better day for you to give your life to him than today. Amen? He doesn't know any person who's not a sinner. And he doesn't know any sinner that he doesn't love. And he doesn't know any other way to save a sinner that he loves from the sin that he hates. He doesn't know any sin that he doesn't hate because it separates from one another and separates us from him. So he doesn't know any better way to save sinners that he loves from sin that he hates than through faith in the gift of his son. And he doesn't know of a better day to take advantage of that than today. You do it something like this. You pray a prayer and you begin to meet with people that also believe in him. And you will notice things begin to happen in your life. You pray a prayer like this. Let's just do it together. This is an example. Oh, God in heaven, I call out to you. I call on your name. Say, save me. I've heard your truth today. Give me the grace to believe. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you have risen from the dead. And Just pray along those lines and then pray about the things that bother you. Ask Him to lead and guide you to a church. If this isn't the place for you, He'll let you know where He wants you to go. And it's not church on the golf course. It's not church in the fishing boat. You can commune with God with nature 24-7, but it's when believers get together where we strengthen one another, encourage one another. You do that, you begin to grow, and you begin to read your Bible and notice water baptism, and there'll be a desire in your heart to do that. Don't let anybody rush you into being baptized, but when you're ready, you'll know. I, I want to go all the way with this thing, amen? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. The peace that keeps you from being shook up. Because he was hung up for our hang-ups. God bless you. Go get him, tigers. God bless you. Amen. <laughs>